Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the memorable, modern, and magnanimous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I am awake, Christopher. I am awake. Sometimes that's all you can say. Sometimes that is all you can say. I mean, are you, like, chilling out? I mean, you have GameholeCon coming up, don't you? GameholeCon in a couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, as people hear this, it'll be one week, right? That's two. It's three weeks from now, I think. So, oh, so two, two weeks, weeks from, two weeks yep. from when people start hearing this. Yep. Cool. What are you doing at Game Hole Con before we get into other things? Uh, they are running the D and D open there, um, so I will probably be overseeing that. I wrote sort of an epic. It's not an official AL epic, but it's a convention only epic that will be running. Uh, I hope I'm still doing a panel on monster design i was asked to but i haven't seen my schedule yet so i assume that's still happening and then it's just kind of hang out and do do what you do at conventions you know see play some games see some people and have a good time so sean with that out of the way the game whole stuff we'll talk more about it next week i'm sure we should probably get to announcements um so the first one is D&D Sports changes its name to RPG Sports to get away from that D&D thing, I imagine, right? Well, yeah, it's funny because we talked about it last week on the show uh, with Rob Schwalb about how this was a kind of a neat announcement and how it sort of showed a new uh, direction maybe for for not just D&D but for role-playing games. And w- literally within minutes after recording, I saw that the announcement went up that it had changed its name from D&D Sports to RPG Sports. And I had mentioned last week that WotC had not get, said anything. They weren't in on the announcement. They didn't put anything up on their own website. So that I, that I just thought was interesting. And now it looks like probably that was because they're not directly involved. So therefore, the name maybe needed to change um, it. The people that are doing it said that it was because they didn't want to focus solely on D&D. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's still going to be interesting. People are still going to be watching. Um, Just it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, Probably the games will still go on as they were going to in the first place. So it'll be interesting to see what format that takes, like we talked about last week. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. I hope I'm glad that it doesn't seem to be anything about IP infringement or anything. So that's good. At least that wasn't announced, so you never know with these things. Yeah, I mean, if they get popular enough, maybe they'll just make their own kind of gameplay style thing for their for that uh, format, right? Right, you can just make your own RPG that better fits uh, a PvP uh, you know, atmosphere right off the bat. Yeah, that fits that MOBA style of play, I suppose, would be the best way to say it. You know what game is really good at that? What's that? Fourth edition. <laughs> Fourth edition would be really good at that, right? Yeah. Like. A lot of those classes, like they, even like clerics and healer type classes, like they were good at healing and stuff. They had a focus. And that's kind of what that MOBA stuff is all about is like building teams that do things well together. Right. And it's much more mechanical. There's a lot less DM intrusion needed to make rulings because the rules are right there for the most part. That's very true. There's no wishy-washy spells where it could work this way or it could work that way. It's just this is how it is. Yeah, I'm really curious just to see them do a thing. If, if they're going to expand from just D&D, like New Savage Worlds looks like a really good game mm-hmm. for something mm-hmm. like that. Right. 
So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what they do in the future. Although this is a D&D podcast, so, you know, yep. we, we stray every once in a while. But we'll, we'll keep an eye on the, that, but who knows? Yeah, to get back to the D&D of it all, right. it looks like there's a delay with the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Yes, it was supposed to be released on November 2nd for the WPN release. And then November uh, week later or two weeks later, so probably the 16th for a general release. But it looks like it's been pushed back for a week due to printer delays. Mm, so those, those things happen sometimes. Sure. I mean, and if it, only a week. That's that's, you know, sometimes it's months or even longer. So it is good to know that it will only be a one week delay. So if you have your pre order in at your game store, look for it on the ninth instead of the second. And then the rest of the world, the release has been pushed back to November 20th. Can I uh, ask you something that's not on our notes? You sure can, Chris. We, we were sitting around talking a little bit yesterday, and there's no, um, there's no really substantiated uh, claims to this situation. But uh, we were looking around, and uh, Bob found an article from Misdirected Mark, the podcast, um, about how Wizards of the Coast was looking to sell off their D&D property uh, in 2020 in 2021 or 2022 and i thought that was ridiculous hmm. when was this article from it's from january that's why like it was a long time ago okay yeah i, it, I nothing I would surprise me but i haven't seen anything that would indicate that that wizards of the coast is looking to sell that property in any way shape or form yeah i mean it would be i think it would be crazy to do so but the other way to look at it is right now D&D is at its height of popularity and profitability since the early 80s. It's true. And, and maybe even more than that. And if they see this as a temporary trend, uh, then maybe they know that this can't be sustained. And if they receive a really, really, really good offer, um, now would be the time. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. So. But not until 2021, 2022 was the rumor that I saw. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm. and it's all just a rumor, everybody. And I don't even know where that, that article is. It was just yeah. read to me. So I'm like, I just thought I'd bring it up to you, Sean, in case you ever heard anything about that or no, if there's rumbling somewhere. Definitely have not heard anything like that. The interesting thing is that would be after the release of a movie. Yes. Yes, it would. That was <laughs> that was my thought, because um, I'm yeah. like, well, if they release this movie and it makes them a bunch of money then they can sell the property for X amount of dollars to go along. Like they've already made back what they spent on it to, mm-hmm. to acquire it. And then way more beyond that. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I, I don't see it happening, but it's interesting. Yeah. Me neither. All right. Um, let's move on to the next thing. So Cobalt Press has another Kickstarter called Tales of the Old Margrave, mm-hmm. a fifth edition forest uh, set of forest adventures. This looks really cool. Yeah. Quite I, cool. I was going to talk about it last week and, and we got caught up with talking with Rob so I, I forgot, and there's only two days left in the Kickstarter, so it'll be over by the time this episode oh, drops. That's but too bad. If um, you know, if there's any way to get into it late, you might want to because um, their their initial goal was fifteen thousand, and they've are they're already over eighty. With a couple of days left, they could get up to ninety or a hundred thousand easily. Um, so this is a forest campaign. That brings you not just the adventures for levels 1 to 10, but also new monsters, new character, um, you know, race class, and other player elements. The designers are Matt Corley is the lead designer, but contributing designers are Dan Dillon, John Sawatsky, 
uh, James Estracasso and Wolfgang Bauer. So there's an all-star lineup of designers. Yeah, who can, I, are, can I read the thing? The, oh, the, sure. The, I like doing the like the movie voice thing for the Kickstarters. Do, do it. Forests and fantasy role-playing games are dark places full of secrets. With this project, we bring the old Margrieve to the fifth edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. The Margrieve is an ancient enchanted forest that defends itself from those who come to cut its timber, poach its creatures, or steal its magic. Within its borders, the old ways are strong. The word of the druids carries great weight, and griffins, dragons, and stranger creatures nest and hunt, undisturbed by humans, dwarves, or other lordlings. Until your adventuring party shows up, then things get really interesting. There you go. So, yeah, I mean, we all know that Cobalt Press is a great third-party publisher um, with all the stuff they put out. They work with some good people, and they usually really deliver on some fine products. So uh, if it's something that interests you, go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really cool product. I, I'm, I love stuff like that. So mm-hmm. little Grimm's Fairy Tales type stuff. Oh, yeah. All right, let's move on to our main topic of the day, which is uh, Dragon Heist. We're going to talk about uh, Chapter 1 now, It is uh, part, uh, which is Part 2 of our, our thing, because we talked about the introduction last time. But mm-hmm. uh, part uh, Chapter 1, which I don't actually have the title here, is called... Uh, a no, Friend is the Yawning in port- Need. No, it's not the Yawning Portal. No, but it's called it's a, a Friend in Need. Yes, A Friend in Need. So uh, where do you want to start with this? Well, I want to start by uh, a call out to one of our... Uh, supporters rob bush because he came onto facebook and he asked uh i'm running Waterdeep dragon heist starting this weekend and i was curious which villain you think will play the best so i uh you know i told him that we were going to discuss the entire uh, adventure but we wouldn't be able to get to that question before he started his campaign uh, but he did point out to me a very interesting uh site uh, if you go to facebook there is a facebook group on Waterdeep Dragon Heist and Dungeon of the Mad Mage DM group. And if you are going to be running either of those adventures, you can go to that Facebook group, and there are some really fascinating discussions going on. Questions like, which of the four villains should be the main villain when I run? You know, which one's more interesting? All of those questions are, are, are there, and some great uh, tips for running it. So, you know, listen to what we have to say, but then head there um, for the group think portion of your feedback absolutely i i just went and joined that group hopefully they'll approve me there you go okay so this is um so we like to talk about this from a product point of view too not just like how to run the adventure and things like that mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of good things to like in this chapter there I is think. yeah there, there's some there's some not good things which um not very many though uh, you noted one that we'll talk about later when we get to the xanathar guild and by the way spoilers are the Xanathar base, but uh, spoilers are on. Like we're yeah. not gonna like hide what's going on in this adventure. So nope. if you don't want to know, stop listening. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the whole thing in detail. And as Chris said, you know, while we discuss these things, we're gonna point out all of the great things, and there are a lot of great things. But there, you know, there are also some things that we think don't work or could be better, or are gonna be problematic for you as a DM or a player when you uh, go through this. So you know, we're just giving our honest feedback. We're not panning it by any stretch of the imagination, but just looking at it objectively. So it starts off um, saying it starts off with a uh, with a how to get involved in this thing, like or not a how to how to get involved, like a, the the overview of what's going on in this chapter, and it's mm-hmm. pretty solid. Like it tells you exactly what's going to happen, which is 
You're going to go to the awning portal. There's going to be a bar brawl. You're, you can choose to get involved with it or not. You're going to talk to Volo Getterthamp. Or, uh, yeah, you're going to talk to Volo. He's going to give you a quest. And then you're going to go hunt down a person that he wants you to find a friend of his. Mm-hmm. That's that's the entirety of what's going on yeah. right here. Yeah. I mean, and that's always good. It's always good as the DM to be able to read what's going to happen so you know all of the intentions. And then if you miss a detail, you still have the intention in the back of your mind so you can make up your own stuff. Now, there's a couple of weird things in here after that. So there's um, it starts with a tavern brawl. It assumes that you're going to start in the yawning portal. And, and, yeah, and, and as a party. Yes, and as you... a party. Or, or not. They actually give you the option to be like, well, you could all just first show up to meet Volo, but that doesn't really work as an option the way that the adventure is structured in the, in the text. Right. So yes. you, you should just have a session zero and have your party show up together as if they know each other. That would be my suggestion. Right. Or if you're feeling, you know, spunky, you can just have the players show up as, as their characters show up at the yawning portal just on an average day. They don't know each other. But then this triggering event is the thing that brings them together. Yeah, you could do that as long as everybody understands that you should probably just go adventure together afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. Like none of this. Uh, no, thanks. I'm not going to take the quest because mm-hmm. that then there's no game. Everybody. Right. right. Don't be, so don't be a jerk. Yep. So the triggering event is something that can bring them together, but it's not something that will necessarily be strong enough to force them to adventure together. So Correct. there will have to be an understanding um, that they're going to work together. Although Volo's offer to them is something that brings them together. It is true. Yes, yep. it, it can. It can bring them together as long as you take the offer. That's the trick. Sure. You have to take the quest. Yep. So let's um, talk about the tavern brawl. Yes, so this brawl, it's between uh, Xanathar, the Xanathar Guild and some Zents. Mm-hmm. And specifically, Yarga, who's a giant half-orc, who you can actually pick, um, get uh, her description in the, in the previous little section, uh, the mem- people who are in the Yawning Portal. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, and a Krentz, who is a uh, Zenternum agent, which is, this is pretty cool, because it's um, Krentz, he can show up later, and yep. there's a page number. And a call out for that. We used to complain about that a lot without the abyss. Mm-hmm. So this is a up step in the right direction for something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so at the tavern, you you're introduced immediately to one of the overarching plot points in this uh, in this campaign, which is the Zen, the Zentarum are fighting with the Xanathar Guild. Mm-hmm. So you're not just told that, but you get an up close and personal view of that animosity. And you're able to step in if you so choose. Yeah, and even if you don't step in, uh, three rounds into this brawl, a, bu- a troll and a bunch of sturges come out of the yawning portal. Mm-hmm. As what often happens, uh, monsters come out of the hole down into Undermountain. And so now, even if you didn't get involved in the fight between the Xanathar Guild and the Zentarum, uh Dernan is asking you, could you please take care of these Sturges while I take care of this troll? Yep, exactly. And But you don't have to just take care of the Sturges. I mean, you can go and fight the troll if you want to. And yep. in fact, if you do, Dernan has a whole bunch of respect for you. Yep, yep. And that's something that can be tracked throughout the campaign because you may be interacting with Dernan again at some point or coming to the Awning Portal. Yeah, there. It was kind of weird reading these couple sections because it wasn't super clear how to transition, how to um, deal with the bar brawl and then the trolls coming out. Because 
it says in there that once you sh- once you go over to deal with the situation with the brawl, the brawl is pretty much er, like the the fight. The fight's pretty much almost over, although there are some other people that are standing around that are going to jump into that fight. So like, how do you do you like do you interfere? Do you not interfere? How do you interfere? Like, are we rolling initiative? Like, it's not very it's not very clear. So you have to make a few. Um, decisions about how you want to handle it yep yep this yeah this is one of those things where it's not telling you exactly how to do it it's leaving it up to you to do what is best based on the party's initial reactions yes Um, so if they all sit back and let the bar fight happen then you can roll a niche uh when the the disturges and the troll come out or it can turn into one big catastrophe um, if everyone's rolling around on the floor punching each other when the troll comes out, then it just becomes, you know, one more part, one more enemy to fight in the battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, me, I would roll for initiative, like right when the the brawl breaks out, mm-hmm. and then have the first round is the players getting over there. The second round is them making a choice about how they want to handle the situation, mm-hmm. and then the third round, like after they've started doing stuff, uh, is when the troll comes out and then everything changes. Right. Yep. That would be that would be my preference, but you don't have to do it that way. There's a bunch of different ways that you could do it. Sure. Uh, after that, Volo was very impressed with the player characters. Um, also, anybody who got beat to death, the the staff will help them, like not be dead. So mm-hmm. that's nice. It, it is good to not be dead in the first encounter of a campaign. I know, right? Well, there is a troll. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yep. hopefully the troll doesn't hit a player character because if a troll hits a player character, that player character is most likely going to zero hit points. Mm-hmm. Yep, and and having Dern in there is one of those wild cards where if your players hate when you know big name NPCs fight the battle for them, uh, step back and let them have a couple of rounds with the with the troll, and then mm-hmm. Dernan can step in if necessary. I mean, see, I always wonder. Like, I think this is a really good version of how to handle this correctly. Like, there are multiple threats. It's not just a troll. It is a troll and a bunch of Sturges, and Dernan can't fight them all. So. Right. That's it's a good way to to handle that. Um, mm-hmm. But after that fight, they meet Volo, who's impressed. Um, he sits them down and he basically asks them, very sincerely, to find his friend Floon Blagmar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of things in this section that I need to I need to mention. At least one thing I need to mention. So there's a call out to Volo's Guide to Monsters, but then there's a call out to another book that he's writing called Volo's Guide to Spirits and Specters. Mm-hmm. If that book is not an April Fool's Day joke on the Wizard site on April first, I'm going to be so sad. Yeah, yep. We'll I mean, keep it, can, an eye. it can have three pages in it, but yep. it, I just it needs to have three pages in it. That's all I'm saying. Like it'd be funny as heck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Volo tells him to go find this person, and then sends them to the Skewered Dragon to start their search. And then right after that, there's an actually what happened section. I love stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, I mean it's so it makes it so much easier to run the game. Because you know what's going on without having to read, like you know what you're about to read, like like the 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 pieces, the pieces that come up, they're not just clues to you as a game master anymore. You kind of know what what's going to be presented as far as information to the player characters. Yep. So it's very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the thing that happened was Flume was grabbed by the Zents because uh, he was with Renar Nevermember, who is Dagalt Nevermember. You know the Open Lord of Waterdeep, the former Open Lord of Waterdeep, his son. They were hanging out. The Zents grabbed them, and then the Xanathar Guild grabbed Floon, thinking he was Renar from the Zents, and took him to their uh, hideout. Mm-hmm. That's very yep, so a little convoluted. Mis- little mistaken identity. Uh, yeah. It's not very convoluted. Yep. It's it's perfectly fine. Actually, I like it a lot. Yep. 
Uh, you want to move on? To a, you know, it's a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's a good. It's a good quick way to get the characters involved without an overly complicated plot. Yeah, and it's not really an overly yeah. complicated plot. It's basically go find Floon, and then you'll find out this other stuff along the way. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the finding of Floon because the the whole thing ends up leading to the Xanathar Guild hideout where Floon is. Mm-hmm. But there's a path to get there. There's tr- almost a trail of clues. I don't know if anybody's ever heard me talk about investigation in, in this stuff, but trail of clues is a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing is blood in the streets. That's the that's a scene. Uh, it's just a flavor scene to show the escalating fight between the Zents and the Xanathar Guild. Yep. Um, then there's old Zoblob's shop. That's a thing that you can find if you search the dock works. That's where you're down by. Um, it's a deep gnome shop, and Zoblob is is the the name of the gnome. He sells trinkets and he's also a spy for the Xanathar guild and he has a stuffed beholder in the window. And I think that's pretty neat. Like it's a, it's a cool little flavorful place. You can buy some stuff. It kind of like, I, I feel like it'll probably tie into things possibly later. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I really liked is you can, you can talk to him to get information about, uh, Renar and, and Floon and you can make a charisma check. Or if you notice that he likes purple, uh, you can offer him a purple item, which mm. I love that because if you just offer him a purple item, it automatically succeeds. There you go, it's good little flavor and you know neat, a little exploration role playing type of thing, uh, just to add a little flavor to the to the uh, adventure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it give and you can get information out of it, so it's flavorful and it's got some information that mm-hmm. you can you can receive. Uh, the blood in the streets thing is just it has nothing to do with anything. Except the fact that it's part of the backdrop, right? The Zens and the Xanathar Guild fighting each other. Mm-hmm. So then you get to the Skewer Dragon, and that's where the player characters can learn that Renar was there too. Um, there's a nice three dragon anti call out, which I think is pretty neat. And the the patrons will tell the player characters that they saw five men follow Floon and Renar out of the the um, the Skewer Dragon, and those five men they frequent a warehouse on Candle Lane, mm-hmm. or is it Candy Lane? No, it's Candle. Candle. Candle Lane. All right, good. This isn't Candyland. Def- definitely <laughs> I not. I that down wrong. Um, <laughs> so, so far, what has happened is that they're, the PCs are just going from location to location, getting information as they move from as they move around, and there's nothing that ever blocks the investigation. There's not any rules that block information, and I'm a pretty big fan of that kind of play. I don't know right. about you. What do you think, Sean? No, I, I think it's it's absolutely true. If you are a DM and your players want a little more hunting, then you can always add a couple more stops along the way. You know, you can add some of that, but it's best just to make the investigation simple at this point. First level characters trying to get into the story. Make it simple. Throw in a couple of NPCs. Give the flavor, um, which you've done through the blood in the streets encounter. And then get them to their first big, um, big test, if you will. Yeah, I actually would agree with that. Their first big test, and that's the Zent, the Zent hideout, the Zentarum hideout, which is this warehouse on Candle Lane, the two-story warehouse. So, the building has the Zent symbol painted on the door. Uh, you, it, people might not recognize that, but you can just roll, make a DC ten intelligence check to to understand that's what it is. Uh, inside of there are some Kenku. They're looking around, searching the place, because they're part of the Xanathar Guild. Also, Renar, he's still inside trying to get out, because when, like, as Sean mentioned before, there's a bit of mistaken identity, but Renar still hasn't been able to escape from this place. He's hiding. 
So when the player characters show up, they get in there, they can, they can get in there, deal with these, these Kenku, um, which the Kenku are the ones who point the player characters to the Xanathar hideout because they know how to get there. And it's kind of neat because they, they have cool flavor, right? They mimic voices. Right. They don't actually use their own voices. I love that a lot. Yep. It's, you know, it's, it's a great role-playing thing uh, to have the same Kenku do, saying different things with, with different accents because they can only mimic. So that's a very cool thing. And then Renar, his purpose is that uh, he's got a couple of purposes. We'll talk about some of the uh, another one of the ones later. But right now, he can provide the whole plot of the backdrop of the situation that's going on in Dragon Heist. Mm-hmm. He knows what's going on. Like he knows that his father has a cache of dragons in the city, and he knows that the stone of Galore was taken from the Xanathar Guild, mm-hmm. and. He knows that they all thought that he knew something about it, but he doesn't know anything about it. So yep. he's actually worried about his friend. Yeah. And for some adventures, you don't want to give away the whole plot at the beginning. Uh, you know, you want a sense of mystery, perhaps. But with this, the mystery is where, you know, where this is. So you don't want to hide that. You want you want the whole story to be right there. You want that always in the back of the player's minds is there's this huge cache of treasure that we're find, you know, we're looking for, and that's going to be the impetus to keep them driving forward. Uh huh. That 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 exactly is it right there, Sean. Right? Like here's the MacGuffin that you need to get to get rich. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that's pretty neat. Personally, yeah. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, also, if you ask Renar, he'll come help you. Hmm. Which is neat. Like, I actually like that about NPCs. Like, I mean, you don't have to. It's, so the player characters, it's not um, it's not one of those situations where he demands to go with you. It's more if the player characters say, well, you come help us, he'll come help. Otherwise, he won't. Yeah, and at first level, you need all the help you can get. Mm-hmm. Especially that, in this adventure. <laughs> yeah. In this, um, we've talked about NPCs in games before, right? Oh, sure. Like, like, how annoying is it to try to NPC characters if you have too many or this, that, or the other thing? And the player characters don't want them, like, right. to force them on them. So this is, like, the perfect situation for that. It's not forced. Yep. Yep. If you need, you know, if there's only three players or, or if you, ha- you have a weaker party or if you just, you know, if you're a, a DM who has a group that likes to have that interaction with the NPCs, then this is the perfect um, one to, to have because, A, he has a lot of information, B, um, he is a, a decent enough fighter to hold his own, and uh, C. He is uh, he's got the background information about about Waterdeep and the plot. So there you go. Then um, I, I missed a section, the like fleshing out a section in our notes. Uh, the watch arrives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that real really quick. I, I want to talk about it some more too because this character I'm sure is going to be re- recurring. <laughs> and, and and that that's my point. In a lot of adventures. You know, the watch arrives and you just kind of gloss over it, right? The watch arrives and maybe they ask a few questions, um, but they're sort of just a a trope that lets you know that this combat's over and you can move on. With this adventure, you're going to want, as the DM, to pay a little bit more attention to how the PCs interact with the watch because they are going to be facing off either with or against the watch throughout this entire adventure. It's going to be important if they if they treat the watch with respect or with disdain. Um, you, you're going to want to see what their relationship is because they may end up in a situation where how they treated the watch in the past is going to inform how how they're able to complete the or not the adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that that's a hundred percent accurate. Now, um, let me talk about Captain Staggett right now. So, Captain Staggett, he's the captain of the Watch and the Dock Ward, and he's got some like real motivations and some real like police officer styled stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he's working a sting right now in the in the Dock Ward. That's mm-hmm. one of the things he doesn't tell anybody that, but he was working a thing. Um, he sort of is. Uh, he sort of has to pull a bunch of his resources though to, to bolster stuff in the dock works, all the stuff that's going on between the Zents and the, and the Xanathar guild. Um, but he's kind of dragging his feet on all that stuff. Cause he's like, well, I'm just going to let those, those criminals all murder each other. Mm-hmm. Like that's his kind of a, his opinion on this whole situation. Right. And that's exactly the situation that the characters walked in on at the, yes. at the warehouse uh, that they were led to. So, you know, that's the interesting thing. And it's also a good time now as the watch approaches to hand the characters the legal code of Waterdeep so they know what's legal, what's not, and there there isn't any gray area, at least in terms of the law about how things should be handled. And by the way, there's a in the appendix in the back of the book, it's in there. So you can actually photocopy it or whatever and, yep. and uh, give it to your, your character, give it to the players. Yep. Okay, so... Now you can go to the Xanathar Guild hideout. So why don't you tell me about the Xanathar Guild hideout, Sean? Okay, so the, the Xanathar Guild hideout is in the sewers beneath Waterdeep. And as you might expect, it is uh, behind some secret doors. It's well guarded. Um, there is a gazer, so one of those tiny beholder folks, Oh, um, yeah. Guarding guarding the entrance to the sewer. So when you get there, that's the first thing you're going to face, which should tip you off if you have any sort of background, either you as the player or you as the character, any background in, you know, in the history of the area, that this may be a Xanathar Guild hideout because there is a Beholder-type creature guarding it. The leader of this little uh, cell of the Xanathar Guild is a half-orc named Grumshar who is questioning Floon with the misunderstanding that Floon knows where the gold is, or at least where the Stone of Galore might be in order to get to the gold. So that is the situation that you're walking into. Um, As you go through, you will find some normal threats for a first-level character, some goblins, this and that. Uh, You also come across Krenz if he survived his fight at the Yawning Portal. And so immediately, within the first couple of adventures, depending on how long a session you you run, you've got a callback for how did you treat this person in the past, and it will affect the way things go uh, in the present. So that's neat. Um... A few other, um, one other issue I have, and Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you have a different opinion, but I do not like too many empty rooms in adventures. Um, and looking at the map, there are a lot of rooms that are just empty. And to me, it's just, if if you're not going to use the room, just get rid of the room. Mapping can slow the game down. Um, And so 
having these rooms just kind of dilutes the the tension that you're that you're presenting to the players. I I agree. Okay. Like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, y y when you're designing anything, right? Like, is it? I always think of like you think about beat structure, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if the exploration of the thing isn't doing anything. Uh, Story-wise, not providing flavor really, or not providing anything um, interesting or fun to interact with, then why is it there? Yep. Or telling a story or something. And there's a bunch of rooms in this section that are like that. Yep. And if so, if you're designing a dungeon and you feel like there needs to be a room there, put something in it, something to explore, something to to interact with in a, a way, either through role-playing or with that, that sort of exploration where it's something strange and you need to examine it, or there's a trap, or you know, even if it's a trap that's harmless, um, a trap is something that a thieves' guild would put in their area to play pranks on each other, even, you know, mm -hmm. you get sprayed with flour. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Right? You know, it's, Why it's, it, that should be in there. Right. <laughs> it's not it's not going to kill anyone, but it's just something different and something that the ways that rogues would interact with each other without trying to kill each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and other little things like that. Right. More more stuff like that should be in, in and around here. Mm -hmm. That would be a really good thing, like a, a random chart of pranks like that for the um, the sleeping quarters, because there's a bunch of them. There's like yep. there's like four of them. Right. Exactly. Um, and then you can put them in random spots too, if you felt like it, like mm -hmm. just for the for the lulls, right? Or for like a beat change. Yep. Heck, you could even have one of them be deadly because somebody got mad at somebody else. It tells a little story, right? Like, why the heck is this deadly trap in here? Right. Yep. So you know that's that's something that you as the DM can add because there are these blank rooms on the map. So you know, feel free to do that. Feel free to um, to make the campaign your own in that way. But I definitely would not suggest making these things deadly um, for reasons that we're going to get into shortly. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so super tropey. This this uh, this adventure so far is very tropey. It's very it felt a lot like um, a Law and Order episode. Mm -hmm. Right. But now now we get into the James Bond villainy type thing where. You walk into a room and, hey, look, there's an orc apprentice, a half-orc apprentice there, and a mind flare. Mm -hmm. And the mind flare is like, eh, I'll just, uh, I'll just walk away and let my, uh, my, my minions deal with you, my yep. intellect devourer and my, uh, my orc apprentice, and I'll probably kill you later if they don't kill you. Yep. Yep. So, so there's that. There's that. Uh, DMs, if, if you're tempted to use that mind flare uh, against the players, don't. Don't. Um, even th this is one of the situations that's hard for me as a DM because, you know, the, the adventure basically tells you the mind flayer should not attack players, whether or not they're playing their character or, you know, metagaming, it's, it's hard for them to refrain from attacking a villain that's in front of them. So, now you're in a situation where if the players attack the mind flare, is he still going to just walk away? Um, you know, it's it's difficult, especially if something happens where they get two rounds of combat on him. And even at first level, characters can can do some damage. 
Yeah, except if, when they get mind blasted and they can't move and they die. Well, th- that's exactly it, right? So now you come into a situation where maybe the characters come in, they see the mind flayer, they roll well on initiative or something, and they do 35 points of damage to him quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're in a situation where you're really bending logic to the point where he has to walk across a room, open some doors, walk into a different room to teleport away. So, you know, it's, it's, do you, do you fudge the rules so he can just go right away? Um, do you, yeah, it, it's just, it puts DMs in an awkward position in some cases. Um, and then there's the next thing where the, not only is there this apprentice wizard, but there's also a intellect devourer. Uh, intellect devourers are nasty, nasty creatures. Yeah, they are. At for, against first level characters, uh-huh. um, I would not be surprised if if run straight up with no fudging rolls, no you know, tr- no changing the results. At like thirty, forty, fifty percent of the tables, a character dies from that. Because it doesn't take a, an intellect devourer much to kill a character. Well, they only do seven points of damage when they hit. Uh, that, that's not. That's not. That's not what does it. Oh, you're, are you talking about the devour intellect thing? Yeah. Or take a yeah, man. Targets one creature it can see within ten feet. Well, that, that's not too bad. That make a DC twelve intelligence saving throw. Two D two D ten psychic damage. Yeah, eleven psychic damage. That's a lot. Uh, also on a failure, roll 3d6. If the total equals the target's intelligence, that score is reduced to zero. The target is stunned. Okay. Yep. Until it regains at least one point of intelligence. Like, that's right. instantly taking somebody out, right? Right. And then look at Body Thief. Yeah, I'm reading it right now. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not good. Like, I mean, people... I mean, on the bright side, it's a first-level character, right? They could they could make another first-level character pretty quickly. Yeah. So it, Th- this if, is not a this is not a simple, easy. This is not easy, right? No, it's not, and and it's very swingy, and and that's part of the problem too. Is oh, it, let's uh, be fair. All first level character type stuff is swingy for the most part when you get into combat. It, it is swingy, but this is swinger than most. Um, Actually, this is deadlier than most. Well, it's definitely deadlier than most. But you know, if you have if you have in that first round, if your characters roll poorly, um, the intellect devourer can take a character down in two rounds. It's it's true. And, and, and not take a character down as in they're unconscious. I mean, take a character down as in remove their brain from their body and they are dead. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let, let's, be, let's be completely transparent about this. It's mm-hmm. this and an apprentice mage. Like right. this is a deadly encounter. Oh, like most, most definitely. Yeah, ever, all, experience point wise, um, just eyeball wise, it's a deadly encounter. It's like mm-hmm. one, don't fight the mind flare. Yes, because you should really be spending your attacks on the intellect devourer and the and the mage. Mm-hmm. Um, two, the mage and the intellect devourer can kill you pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, apprentice wizards can do burning hands twice. Uh huh. And there's there's an if he gets if gets two of those off, um, that's a, that's a dead party. Yeah, I mean just just you're just dead, yeah. right? Like, 
So, I mean, it's, it, it's not, this is not a, I will tell you this, this isn't actually, in my opinion, what I would consider um, an Adventurers League style encounter oh. or game. Like, no, this is actually a, a, a challenge for the, for the party or yep. whoever's playing this and interesting to me and kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun depending on what your party likes, how things go. Um, it just it's just be aware that that this is a potentially problematic encounter in a in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's definitely a tone setter. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that, that is that is very true. I mean, this whole this whole um, chapter is a tone setter. Mm-hmm. Investigation, talking to people, um, finding yep. out other information while you're learning while you're tracking down the thing that you're tracking down, realizing that you're part of a bigger plot. Maybe within a plot, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. then running into things that are way out of your out of your out of your league, actually, mm-hmm. and then even the stuff that you're supposed to deal with is sort of out of your league. True. One thing that I would suggest, and what I found while I was playtesting, was it might not hurt to have the initial stuff and then the the battle or the investigation of the warehouse be your first level adventure level up to second have your second level adventure be this um layer yeah that might not be a bad idea that's like that's a pretty solid idea i um, like that it, it may require you to bump up add a couple more monsters here and there in the in the hideout but it makes the this other um encounter a little more manageable a little more survivable uh, just a thought well, it's good if you want if your play experience is that is that you want that right. You're more exactly. interested in telling the story and not dealing with the challenges. Right. If, if you, you don't want, want a thirty percent chance of killing a character. Yeah. If you want um, it more on easy mode and you want it to be a little less swingy, then that's mm-hmm. what you should do. Yep. Uh, I wanted. I was looking up. So the the mind flare problem. I'm, I'm, the mind flare has can dominate monster, which you can use on a player character, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has plane shift. So it could just shift out of the out of the way, right? It could, but I I think part of the plot is that it's supposed to move into the other room. Maybe that is no longer the case. I'll have to. No, it is part of the plot because it's got a stone eyeball that it can use to use the portal. Right, and so part of the story is the characters are supposed to see this um, and investigate, and so they know what is coming later. I guess. Yes, I'm I'm with you, but sometimes you have to improvise because it's a role-playing oh, game, right? Abs- absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're, so you're absolutely right. You can do that. Uh, you can just have him plane shift. That gets rid of that awkwardness of he's barely surviving, but for some reason he's still not attacking. I mean, you could also just modify the plane shift spell if you wanted to, to have him give him Dimension Door if you want instead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like there's a bunch of things you can do to make it make sure. more sense. Absolutely. And all of those are great ideas. Just think it through and keep it in mind as as a DM as you're as you're running it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so there you go. That's a you have some options now for that situation cuz it's a it's a situation, right? Like I mean, you you're trying to create a tone here. So mm-hmm. that's that's the whole point of this chapter is creating a tone for your for your game. Yep. Um all right. After that and after you've saved uh, Floon, who's around somewhere, I, I didn't catch where he was. He's around somewhere down. No, there. he's he's in the room getting tortured. Oh, that's with right, the, with the mind flayer and the uh, half orc and the intellect devourer. Okay, that's right. I've, I'm not on the pages anymore. Uh, 
with with that section. But so you you save him, uh, you get him out, uh, and then you go back and you meet Volo and Volo and Renar and Flume. They become your friends. They're your allies. You can actually go to them later if you want to, which is kind of neat if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, the more important thing is that Volo gives you a house. Yes, he does. Not just like, a house, but a tavern. Which is cool, right? <laughs> it really is. And I've already heard lots of great stories about um, groups that are playing this who you know have done really cool and funny uh, things with their tavern. You know, the, <laughs> the names they've given it and the things they've done there is, for me, what D&D is all about. Yeah, and right. Like that's the thing, and then see, so it's like you know, you have this tavern, and then people. We'll talk about it next week, I suppose, right? Yeah, because then so, you can uh, burn it down, and then then they cry. <laughs> oh, that's just mean. You're so you're so mean, Sean. I am. Uh, well, that's our uh, is that our episode. I think that's our episode, right? Yeah. So overall, very strong chapter. A really good start to the uh, to the whole adventure. Um, it it gives you the plot right up front. It gives you small snippets of different things that the characters are going to have to deal with over the whole course of the whole uh, adventure, you know, city watch, lots of schemes, um, different groups fighting with each other, which is just going to complicate the lives of the, of the characters in many ways. So yeah, it's a a really strong start. Well, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening and uh, do a few Patreon shout outs. Uh, J.J. Lanza, James Sweetland, Jen Pixelscapes Gange, Brandon Barnes, Troy Sandlin, Blake Ryan, Batman, Corey Johnson, Will Doyle, the Mad Wizard Merwin himself. Thanks, Sean, for patroning us. Doyle. Even though you get paid by us, it's so bizarre. We we make fun of you every time we uh, we do that on any of the shows, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Goins from uh, A Bite of D&D, Avi Waxberg, thank you so much, Miko Froelich, Andrew Dacey, Cindy Moore, Tabletop Gaming Deals, Effie Medicine, The Suicide Pixie, and Randy Farmer, the old school DM, which... By the way, Sean, I don't know if you saw this, but for Extra Life, he was doing uh, running some D&D, and this young uh, eight-year-old girl and her father came to play, and he that was her first ever D&D game, and she oh, yeah. had such a blast. Yeah, I saw that, and I thought, I'm glad that Randy was their DM. I know, right? I mean, I, every game, though, from then on that she plays, she's going to be like, where's all the stuff? Yeah, where's where's all the good DM stuff? Yeah, where's all the paper craft and the cool stuff? Yeah, Randy <laughs> has ruined D&D for that girl forever after making her first initial foray into it. Or, as you know, awesome made it awesome for her forever. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for a paltry $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout out like you just heard. Or for $4 a month, you not only get that shout out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes as well as access to our Slack room for life. By the way, for that $2 a month, like you also get some other stuff I should mention. Um, like we have extra bonus content via the uh, Misdirected Mark podcast and uh, Pandas Talking Games. You get those podcasts from that too, uh, those extra podcasts, the after show and uh, the bonus outtakes. Uh, there's there's a few other things in there that you get too. So there's there's all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the $4 a month, did you mention that you get to access to the Slack Room for Life? I certainly did, Chris. Okay, cool. I wasn't sure. I was thinking about something else. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those help even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts to rate and rank shows, and that helps make us more visible. So, Sean, man, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. If you want to hear more from the Mad Wizard, you can find him at Menagerie Wizard. 
And you can also go to our Down With D&D G Plus community where we have some interesting discussions about the game. How about you, Chris? You can hit me up at Misdirected Mark on Twitter or on the website where you can catch other great shows such as... I did this last week, but I'll just do it again this week. She's a Super Geek. Uh, She's a Super Geek is an actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. Right now they're playing Arun, which is a space opera game by New Agenda Publishing with Misha B. running it for them, and she is wonderful, and that game is kickstarting right now. Sweet. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Sean, buddy old pal, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some intellect devourers before they eat our brains. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know down with D&D. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me.